0: Good morning, 7 o'clock here, don't know what time it is in your part of the world, but I'm having a good day, no bad days. I'm having a good day because at 11 o'clock today, I've got my friend Louis Shelton, I finally convinced him that it's not too scary to, to go live with all this stuff. He's going to be, have a, a bit of a live chat, so check out my upcoming events and make a reservation for that. in the meantime, I got this really nice note from a really nice dude named Sammy Bowler, that says, Rick, I hope you enjoy the album. Thanks thanks again for having me on the channel. All the best, Sammy. He even gave me a sticker. And
1: let's see. Look out,
0: Ding dong, who's at my door? It is Sammy Bowler. How you doing, buddy?
1: Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me on, man. Good to see
0: you. As always. As always. It's always good to catch up with you, mate. Hey, um. Oh, big time. What, part, what time is it in your part of the world right now?
1: Uh, a little after 5 o'clock.
0: Not too so. bad then.
1: Yeah, it's not too bad. Now. It's finally starting to get hot here, so it's, it's a good change of pace. Yeah.
0: Well, I live in the world of um, endless summer. We get a little bit colder at night, but this is 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm in a T-shirt come winter, so it's not too bad. Dude, your, awesome. album, I your album, I've got to say, thank you for sending that. Man, you... Folks, he even sent me a little baggie of picks because we were talking about picks and um, how I was looking for some new ones and most of them lose their shape and everything. So he sent me these little guys there. Is that going to actually focus? I get it right. Nah, you're not going to see it. Well, it's got all the... He's got his autograph on him. Uh, they're really cool, man. They don't lose their shape. Oh,
1: thanks. You've been using them? That's cool, I have. That's I awesome. have.
0: They, I can scrape with them. They don't lose their shape or anything. Um, really cool. Where can folks get your album, though, mate? Because this is fantastic.
1: Uh, thank you so much, i'm uh, thanks for checking it out, man. Uh, all the all the main uh, streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff, and uh, there's CDs available too at CandyWrap.com. Cool. So it's been pretty cool, man. It's been out a couple of months already. It's been a little weird since uh, you know we can't go out and play and all that, but uh, it's been it's been cool to finally have some music out for sure. That's a, it's bad timing,
0: isn't it? Like you want to be out on the road promoting it, but uh...
1: I know, man. Yeah, I was just starting to line stuff up, you know, like to go out and play. But it's all good, man. It's just one of those things, you know. Everybody's yep. in the same boat right now, so absolutely nothing you can do. Well, yeah.
0: that's where I've just been making some Skype calls and talking to friends. And ding dong, there's a little ring on my bell. Who have we got here? Hello, it's Steve Stevens. Hey, Steve.
2: Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, Sammy, Rick. How you doing, buddy? Good. I'm good doing good. Everybody, everybody healthy out there? <laughs>
0: we I am? Yeah. Sammy seems yeah. it. You seem it.
2: Yeah. We're all doing the yeah. right thing. Yeah.
0: Looking out for others.
2: Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Steve, man, I uh, I was lucky enough to go and see you not that long ago at um, the River Stage in Brisbane. And, mm. man, that was a ripper gig. Really loved it. Your tone live. Just as oh, good. Okay. Just as good as the okay. record. And, I mean, you, you do set the benchmark for tones on record ever since i was a kid
2: Ah, uh, thank you yeah. yeah um yeah i mean you know it's it's it, if i don't if i don't know how to make billy idol music sound good by now <laughs> i should i should uh, i'm in the wrong business then, absolutely so. what, I and,
0: people, uh, what i tell people what yeah, i tell people when they bring you up mate is before i ever played guitar I, I was totally into synthesizers and drum machines before i played guitar i knew that Billy Idol songs had cool guitar in it. Well, not cool guitar, just awesome guitar in it, way before I even touched the instruments. So um, you, you touched touched my, my heart as a kid with that, those sounds, man.
2: Uh, thank you, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, it, it was no, like, big master plan or anything, but um, I think it's, you know, it's a matter of, uh, you know, we, we had a great producer, uh, Keith Forsey, who did all our records. And, um, and uh, certainly, by the time we did Rebel Yell, um, I've got to give full credit to Dave Whitman, who was our engineer, um, who, if you just Google Dave Whitman, and you'll, I mean, everything from Mavish New Orchestra to Led Zeppelin to Kiss, he engineered all that stuff, and um, he really brought my guitar, you know, he made it sound the way I heard it in my head.
0: Cool, cool. It's a killer sound. Man, I, I really don't know too much about how you got started playing and what you did leading up to Idol. Um, what, what sparked the fire for young Steve? What got you into playing then?
2: Really? It was, you know, I was very fortunate in the time that I grew up, uh, uh, you know, I have a brother who's five years older than me. All of his friends played guitar and, um, and, you know, uh, I grew up in Rockaway, which was a, a, a beach area. So everybody would go down to the beach and play acoustic guitar and, One day, my dad brought home. I think he paid thirty-five dollars for a guitar. I just wanted to hang out with the other kids, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. but this was the period of of the super folk music: Uh, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Simon and Garfunkel. So everybody played acoustic guitar. And there was a song uh, uh, a protest singer named Phil Oakes, who was from my neighborhood, and his sister was a guitar teacher, and uh, she kind of got me on my way and and showed me chord shapes and things like that cool and, but really really i just wanted to hang out with my brother <laughs>
0: wow wow <laughs> yeah. how about you sammy how, how did you get a stop mate
1: um both my parents are musicians man so like music was always kind of around the house and uh i started playing piano when i was really young but i always wanted to play guitar like as long as i could remember you know so yeah. i kind of like begged my parents to get me a guitar for for years you know and uh i finally started when i was like 10 or 11 cool cool but, uh, that's kind of how i got how i got into it you know just trying to trying to feel cool and play guitar you know
0: yeah so um you're you're playing you've you've got a lot of the te- two-handed thing going on where you're playing almost piano like so i think we, we talked about it last time that it could be slightly influenced from uh spending a bit of time on the, on the piano first huh
1: I think so. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, as far as like playing, playing chord progressions and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought about it in a long time, but I think, um, I think a little bit for sure.
0: So for both of you, like Steve, you said, you know, playing folk music. And, um, I know I started in high school, you had to learn to play sort of folky things and it was the Mm -hmm. only thing I was good at. I was absolutely terrible at anything else. Still am. Um, what was the bridging gap that got from playing folk music to rock
2: and roll? Um, well I, I you know got my first you know crappy acoustic when I was about eight eight years old, and I didn't get an electric till I was thirteen um, and, and, and I think you know I, I was not le- really yearning for an electric because there was so much folk music around, and even the things that were popular by by bands like the who you know pinball wizard was the was the biggest hit at that time so i was fine just puttering away on my my acoustic guitar um but then i think i walked through my neighborhood and i heard a garage band
0: yeah 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 <laughs> you
2: know these were the days you know especially on the weekends everybody would open up their garage and there was literally like probably about four bands in my neighborhood garage bands yeah. and i went oh yeah i guess i gotta get a guitar you know for electric guitar to be a, in a Garage Band, um, so when I was thirteen, I got a uh, uh, a Univox uh, electric guitar. Cool, cool. How about you, Sammy? Awesome. What was what was your first guitar, man?
1: Uh, Squire Strat from Guitar Center. Nice. That was about it. Yeah, yeah. It came with came with a with a really shitty little amp, so I used, yep. to, I used to turn it up like just all the way, man. It sounded terrible, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, I spent a lot of years doing that, man.
0: Awesome, awesome. I think mine was just a really cheap cheap strat knockoff as well i didn't even have an amp for a while um i actually grew up living in a caravan with my mum, and as an amplifier i used to just hold my headstock against the wall and the whole caravan would actually resonate and Um, yeah it was like a a huge big acoustic guitar i'm sure the neighbors could hear me but (laughs) uh, yeah we're gonna start somewhere huh yeah yeah so when you guys progressed into getting electric guitars who were who were the big heroes for you guys how about you steve sammy uh
2: well yeah i mean it was just at the you know that uh early period of english rock guitar just starting with progressive rock and when i heard yes it was the first time i heard a guitar player who was using all these styles that i had already accumulated uh playing folk guitar classical guitar i had a flamenco guitar teacher before i had an electric and um and i heard uh roundabout and i went oh wow he's playing uh, classical guitar cool and then electric guitar so i i just like really really took to a lot of those early early 70s english progressive rock guitar players yeah robert Fripp, steve howe steve hackett um and of course you know jimmy page and and um you know led zeppelin was was a huge influence
0: cool how about you sammy
1: absolutely i was just watching uh how the west was one the other night with jimmy page man it's just amazing but uh for me it was um like the big one was for was a uh, van halen like that's what sure. kind of made me want to want to pick up guitar um him and randy rhodes are probably like the two is two biggest for me yep but um after that, I have got, like, really big in like, the, all the shredders, like, Ingvay and Paul Gilbert, and, you know, like, a lot of the instrumental stuff um, back in the day, but a little bit of everything, man. I love a lot of classic stuff, too, like Hendrix and Jimmy Page, all that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Steve, you, you touched on, on uh, the flamenco thing there, and that's a big – Part you're playing anyone that's seen you live would, would know that you stretch out and play big flamenco style solos i've got uh albums of yours flamenco a go-go and even some of the other ones there's always that uh that element about it where did that come
2: from um i mean guitar teachers back back when i was a kid um they, they really it was hard to find somebody you know who you could kind of um now, identify with a lot of them were just you know trying to teach me all this like fuddy duddy stuff and let alone teach me any rock songs or anything. And so I went to a uh, music summer camp in Long Island, um, and, um, and the guitar teacher was even before he played a note, he told his life story. Yep, and he was a Ro- oh, Ro- wow. Romanian, he was a Romanian gypsy who escaped from the Nazis and the, during the Second World War with his guitar. And um, wow! And he left. He left uh, w- with his brother. His brother didn't survive. Uh, died somewhere in the mountains or something. And um, and then he picked up his guitar and explained what flamenco was and how it was this kind of nomadic people's. You know, when I was a little kid, you know, my my grandfather, uh, you know came over also during the second World War and explained to me what what a, what a um, cantor was in uh, jewish religion and it was and I identified with it and the minute he picked up the guitar, this guy played the, as if his life depended upon it wow. with so much passion and so much technique i didn 't even know that i didn 't know you know what it was but it certainly wasn't simon and garfunkel yeah you know and he's playing all these you know fast runs and banging on the guitar and i went i want to learn whatever that is you know and uh he was just such a charismatic guy and had this incredible love of life uh and the guitar saved his life and um and i just you know he was the first guitar teacher that i went that i respected really
0: yeah yeah so that really shows, like, playing from the heart, doesn't it? And I know talking to Sammy, oh God. like, it's yep. all about playing from the heart. Um, wow, that what an amazing guy to, to, to come across at such an impressionable
2: age. Yeah, and then, um, as luck would have it, when I went to high school, one of the other students, I went to the fame school or whatever, and um, one of the other students was Mario Escudero Jr., whose dad was the guitarist in the Jose Greco flamenco dance company which my parents had brought me to see so again there it is you know another example of you know flamenco and I could learn from this guy and and, uh, it's just always been you know I've just always gravitated towards it I'm not a traditional flamenco player you know I just rip off the good guys yeah yeah
0: it's a great flavor that you (laughs) add in there man you just said something there you went to the fame school is that like the tv show fame yeah yeah that is so cool because my, before I was into guitars, I was into synthesizers and, and, and drum machines mm. because of mm. that show. There was, they had the guy on oh. that show who was just a one-man band, and I was like, i, I got to do yeah. that. And that sort of got me yeah, – <laughs> my mum bought me an, an organ, and I got into the, the drum machine on that and messing around. Um, yeah. There's definitely awesome. an, an, a strong ele- electronic element to some of your stuff as well, man. Is that something that you picked up on early, like programming and stuff like that?
2: That's really all from our producer, yeah. um, Keith Forsey. Uh, Keith came, worked in Germany under uh, Giorgio Morota, ah. and Keith worked on all those Donna Summers records. And um, So there was a heavy... It was really a, a, a strange mixture. You had this punk rock singer. I mean, I, I you know, I, Billy's influences are so beyond punk, but up until that time, he was known as... You know, the guy from Generation X. Yep. So you got a punk rock singer, uh, a classic rock guitar player, and a disco producer. And that's kind of what it became, you know. We all kind of like brought our strengths to it, and it became this um, kind of dance rock thing. Cool, cool.
0: Because I think sometimes having all those different influences so different really comes up with a new sound, doesn't it? And that sounds like you you struck the jackpot there.
2: yeah yeah yeah. i always think it's good if you have a band uh that guys uh have different tastes
0: absolutely you know
2: um even if it's off the wall if some guy like loves uh, opera or something or you know it's always good (laughs) to have another influence you know
1: totally totally yeah I, i completely agree man yeah it's awesome
0: so um prior to to meeting billy Idol. You said he was in Generation X. You were obviously aware of that, I guess. How did you actually hook up with Billy and get it all started? And was there that magic moment that you remember when you actually went, whoa, we got something here?
2: Um, Well, I I was in a band previous to Billy and we had recorded for Island Records and the whole project. It's a long story, but the project um, ended up being shelved, the album... Wasn't really up to standards. We were signed to Island Records, and <clears throat> and then we got picked up for management by Bill Acoin, who was the manager of Kiss. Cool. And I had a, a, a. What I really appreciated was the management was very honest and said, you know, probably um, not going to happen with this band. And I think I, I had realized, yeah, I, I didn't really know much about writing songs or anything like that. You know, I, didn't, I, was, I just played guitar. And um, so I left the band and we started to put a band together. We ran an ad in the local newspaper, you know, looking for other musicians. And um, I think within a couple of weeks, um, Bill called me and said, have you ever ever heard of Billy Idol? And uh, there was a uh, magazine called Rock Scene and that was based out of New York. And they had profiled. They went over to England and profiled Billy. And and by then, I think I knew dancing with myself from Generation X. And I say, oh, yeah, he's a Dancing With Myself guy. And they said, yeah, well, we're managing him. He's just moved to New York, and you guys should meet. And, um, it wasn't like, oh, my God, you know, I found my partner for life, and we're going to spend the next 40 years <laughs> making music. Um, but the way I approached it was that um, he didn't know any musicians in New York. And I knew everyone so I kind of said, uh, look, you know, I'll help you put a band together. I know some really fine musicians. You should check out this guy on bass, this guy on drums, da-da-da-da. And when it comes time for guitar play, I hope you'll consider me. And um, by then I had kind of figured out, oh, you know, because I certainly wasn't from the, from the punk rock school. You know, my heroes were Jeff Beck and, and, and kind of some of these bloated bands that punk rock was rebelling against. So, but we hit on some things with because he he loved um, uh, he loved Lou Reed and he loved the New York Dolls and Velvet Underground and all all these bands out of New York that I kind of knew their music uh, from anyway, and um, and then we kind of found common ground and we went oh you like that okay uh, you know and it was really just figuring out what what each of us liked. Cool,
0: cool. I don't... So, Sammy. Um... Are you got any intentions of putting a band together to go out and tour with the stuff that you've got going
1: yeah i was planning on it man um i had just gotten an agent right before quarantine hit so it was kind of kind of bad timing or whatever yeah. but i feel like everything now is just pushed back about a year you know yeah um so hopefully it's starting to go out
0: and have you um, had any uh, any magic have you had any magic moments there yourself where you've got together with with people to
1: play and I have, man. Yeah, when I joined my um I was in a band called Citizen Zero, um uh right when I got out of college. So I was about like nineteen, twenty years old. And um we met through a producer in town named Al Sutton. Yeah. But I kinda had a I had kinda had a moment like that where it was like as soon as, as soon as you hit the first note it was like, Wow, this is you know, this is something really special, you know. Cool. So we we were together before I started doing the instrumental thing, um we were on the road and we got signed and stuff out of Detroit uh, in twenty sixteen. So yeah. I spent a lot I spent a lot of years doing that, man. Cool. You know, playing cool. in clubs, going on the road, hitting it hard, you know. Yeah. So I learned a lot, man. There's nothing like being in a band like that, you know.
0: Yeah. So Steve, you said you've been playing with, with Billy for, for forty years.
1: Almost uh, forty. Almost, years. Almost yeah, yeah. That's that's incredible, man. Yeah. And you you did
0: go off and do a few other little things in the meantime. And was it was it a case that after a while you just went, man, I I miss make, making music with this guy. I really, really got to reconnect. Or...
2: um yeah, I mean, in in our case, um, there was no big falling out or or anything like that. Yep. Um, he was going to move. He was moving to Los Angeles. Uh, I wanted to stay in New York, and um, we, uh, I, you know, I obviously uh, yeah, after the success of Rebel Yell and all that. Uh, record labels came, you know, courting and offering me deals and all that kind of stuff. And um, I met Ted Templeman from Warner Brothers. And um, not only did I love, you know, Ted's work with Van Halen, but also the Doobie Brothers. If anybody wants to read a fascinating uh, biography, Ted's book has just come out, and it's it's it, for Van Halen fans. It's chock full of all the behind the scenes stuff, um, but it's fascinating to 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 read uh it's a really good book but i i really liked ted and um and uh and i signed to warner brothers and um and decided to to do my solo project and uh you know but it was always with the intention that um uh billy would would go to los angeles and 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 work with other people but we we always knew down the road we'll reconvene and um and when we when we when we got back together after i had moved to to los angeles um there was no. We didn't have to patch anything up, or because we never, we never had a, an argument about it, or, or, or never slagged each other up. There was no that, reason to. That's great, man. We, we were right. both, both very supportive, and um, it was just a matter of uh, okay, I'm going to do my thing, and you're going to do your thing for a while, and we'll grow as musicians yeah. because of it. Yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. That's good to hear, because life's too short, isn't it, to be burning bridges with, with people that you've got a kinship with.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, thirty-eight years later, we're still we're still friends, and um, you know, we we socialize outside of the music, and uh, we we just we just enjoy what we do. You know, it's you know, it's uh, it's really that simple. It's, it, I you know,
0: I guess after all this time, you guys would just be able to read each
2: other like on yeah. stage as well. I, I'm, and even even musically, when when we're writing or something, you kind of know. I kind of know where my how to accompany uh you know a song for him absolutely cool
0: cool and we got a lot of people that just asking about the the racks in the background there that's some impressive stuff is that your home studio that you're in
2: yeah yeah
0: that's quite a setup mate that's different to what you take out on the road that's not your road rig that you move around or anything is it
2: no actually we just uh dave friedman just built me a new uh live system that's no racks Uh, It's all pedals on the floor and it sounds incredible. And as, as I mentioned to you, I'm now using IR impulse responses live. And um, there's a lot, it's, this is, I got to tell you, man, as a, as a, as an old timer, (laughs) you know, I've been around a lot of gear. There's never been a better time for guitar gear. This, it's incredible what is available to us uh, for musicians. I mean, you can, you know, when I was starting out, you could not get a decent electric guitar for $250. And that's when $250 was quite a sum of money. Um, but now you can actually go into a music store and buy a decent instrument, and stuff is really small. And and, and, um, and there's just, I mean, it's just so much stuff available now.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just, awesome. you mentioned using speaker IRs. Sammy, have you gone down that road, mate, with um, when you're recording or playing live, or are you just, are you you're micing up?
1: For uh, recording at home, yeah, I use a Torpedo Live, man. I have a couple IRs that I really love, but that's that's like completely changed my life, man. Like being able to record at home. Like I'm in a little apartment, you know, so it's you can't really mic up a cabinet or else you know the cops would be coming every night. So that's it's been a really really cool thing. Um, I think that the trick for me has just been finding a couple IRs that really work no matter what you plug into them, you know. But yeah, I love it, man. It's super cool. Cool. That's cool. You're, how are you? How are you running them live, Steve? Are you using a specific box, or what are you using? Um,
2: yeah, we. Uh, I end. I use two amps live, so I'm, I've got a, uh, a Friedman Brown Eye. Uh, yeah. And then a uh, Friedman SS, and um, and I I I've settled on using the Boss Waza uh, uh, IR uh, box, whatever it's called. There. That's amp. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we just tried it in sound check. You know, I was. I was, you know, we've, for, I would say for the last four years, we've had off-stage cabinets and all this and the mic would get bumped or we'd have to set up quickly and the mic wasn't in the right place. And, uh, you know, it, I was never really, we're all on in-ears and I was always struggling to get a good sound in my ears and I would hear distortion and all this stuff. And I just said, yeah. uh, let me just try this in a sound check. You know, let me just get these boxes in and, and, uh, and, um, My uh, front of house guy, we plugged him in and my front of house guy got on his mic and he said, oh, my God, you cannot believe what it sounds like out here. And and, and it sounded fantastic in my in ears as well. And all of the other band members said, what are you doing? It it sounds incredible. And I said, no speakers. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there you go. I mean, for live, it's really, really uh, been a blessing.
1: That's so awesome. That's good to know it's good for your ears, man. Like I've I've avoided oh going in ears for so long just because of that. Like it's such it's so hard to get the consistency, but that's yeah. that's if, really good to know that it, it changed yeah.
2: that. Yeah, if you go to in ears with IRs, you'd be so happy. You'll be really that's, happy. So, so yeah, speaking that's of awesome. that's really good to know.
0: Speaking of, of in ears, Steve, when you're running them, have have you adding sort of more ambience to your feed in your ears? Because my experience with using IRs Uh, not iRs, but in-ears, is that I think I'm playing terribly because it's just so direct, but I was just getting a a direct feed out of a a camper, So do you add a little bit of ambience to the signal
2: in-ear? I have a splash of reverb that's only in my ears Uh, because I don't want to muck about with what my front of house guy is getting. He wants that direct sound because the the room is going to add reverb anyway, just by nature of the PA. Um, So I just add a little bit of reverb and... um, uh and um you know we've had the same uh musicians in our band mostly uh we're going on 10 years now so uh i kind of know how to dial myself into i've got a really good mix of the whole band in my ears and stuff so cool uh it's it's, it sounds pretty damn good in there
0: yeah i'm really looking forward to getting the the new um torpedo captor x and and Try, I'm going to try micing up stuff as well as running a, a direct line out of that, but I don't think I'm going to have to mic up at all by the sounds of things. Uh, I was talking to Bob Spencer from Roast Tattoo a couple of days ago on here, and when he sent me his album, and I said to you, this to you before, Steve, um, when I played it, man, my jaw dropped, and I straight away texted him and just went, how's your fucking guitar sound, buddy? Whoa! Yeah. am uh, not going to ask you about it now. Let's talk about it live. But... Um, I find that I can EQ uh, speaker IRs a lot more and not have as much phasiness going on. Um, is that your experience as well?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, it, it, every situation is different. Um, you know, I recently did. I, I have my sideband uh, Deadland ritual, and we went in with producer Bob Marlette, uh, who's done you know everything from Sabbath to uh, you know. S- Sebastian Bach and all this stuff. And I just brought my guitar because I knew Bob would have cabinets and amps and stuff like that. He doesn't use IRs, but I just trusted what he had, you know. And uh, But you touched on a really important thing in that phasing and all of that stuff. You have to make sure that your engineer is very aware of... Uh, if you're going to mic up a cabinet or multiple mic in, make sure everything's in phase and all that. But with IRs, it's very easy to, to get stuff perfectly in phase.
0: Prior to using the IRs, were you using any ISO cabs or anything? Because that's one thing. Oh, I, is that
2: I tried. I tried that. Yeah. It sounded horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried
0: that. Are you still running a wet-dry-wet wet type setup?
2: Um, no. We, we've gone to two amps and two cabinets. Yeah. Different speakers in each cabinet, and um, it's it's a quasi stereo setup, but they're not the same sounds uh, on on each side. We've kind of dialed in so one amp will be more top and bottom, and one amp has a bit more mid range in it. um, Because there's two guitar players in Billy Idol, there's uh, Billy Marson, who's the rhythm guitar player. So I don't need my sound to be spread across the spectrum. I'm kind of we're both kind of like left and right. Sort of, um, so I just needed I just needed a system that would give me all of the frequencies that I needed.
0: You know? Cool, cool. Got it, got it. So I, I actually had a bit of a play of um, your signature head when I was over at 42 Gear Street with with Dave, and there was a a BE 100 as well, and I noticed that your head was a bit thicker in the lower mids. Am I right in thinking right. that? Yeah, yep. Was there a particular uh, head that you said to Dave, man? build me something like this, but then I want a bit of this on top. What was the, the influence behind your, your um
2: Well, the, well, the, I don't know if you can see, but the amp right behind me is my very first Friedman. Uh, can you see
0: that? It's just out of shot.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. There you
2: go. Okay. So that amp started as a sort of a clone of my favorite Plexi, which I've recorded with for years and years. And, um, uh, so we, so I wanted that, that kind of sound uh, with a little bit more gain and a usable master volume. But then I realized that Dave knows a lot more about about the stuff that I do. So I just kind of like, in, in the case of my amp, I just, you know, I used very general terms. I said, I want, I want an amp that sounds a bit like that, but doesn't get thin when I play single notes up, uh, you know, the top two strings and... Uh, and I've learned now just to listen to Dave and shut up. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So,
0: Sammy, you're using a BE one hundred, aren't you?
1: Yeah, forever, man, or for the past few years, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the go-to for me, man. Yeah. Eventually, I want to upgrade to the BE one hundred deluxe. Um, eventually, but. I mean, I'm I'm so happy with this thing. Like, it's good when you're so comfortable with your rig, you know, you know, you know, everywhere, you know, everything you can get out of it. So yeah, I've been sticking with it, but yeah, eventually, I I played the uh, deluxe when uh, Dave and I were doing some clinics last year, and that's kind of that's kind of where I want to go next. Cool. For sure.
0: Cool. My my um, introduction to the Friedman sound was actually back when I was using uh, Randall MTS gear, and <laughs> it was back when when Dave was had. Rack Systems, the company, and I bought a module off him, uh, and and a modified SL Plus module, which he told me was actually a prototype that he built for you, Steve. Do you um, do you have any good memories about playing the MT, MTS gear? Did that sort of
2: yeah, it was a good mean, system, tra- wasn't it? With, yeah, I travelled with Dave. Uh, my first uh, experience, I think, was. Right after uh, I was with Vince Neil, I had we we were supporting Van Halen, and uh, I used to bring my vintage stuff out on the road, and and uh, it was always yeah, you know, it's very hard to, you know, an amplifier from 1967 isn't going to behave that well on on tour, so um, I started Eddie arranged for me to get some of the 5150s from Peavy um and i used that for a while and dave said oh i can make those sound even better and he worked on that and then we went from that to those um uh to those modules uh as you mentioned um the randall i think it is yep. yeah Yep. and um <clears throat> and i followed him through that and then uh uh, he was doing apps for Blankenship, and I I got one of those, and then Friedman, and uh, I just followed Dave wherever he went. And okay, you know, <laughs>
0: he's definitely got the ear for ha- for it, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, and he's you know, there's a thing about. I mean, Dave introduced me to Sammy, and there's a thing. Every one of these guys, like Sammy, uh, these Detroit guys, are like the salt of the earth, hardworking incredibly talented dudes you know my, my my guitar tech was from Detroit I, I just like you know it's and, and I spent some time uh, there when, when I got to do a clinic with Sammy for the first time and um, there's just a certain work ethic and a and a, I guess because it's a you know was the car town or something There's just make I don't know the great players have a great history of music and I, I, you know I've, like, I got to say that all of the, all of these Detroit guys are pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, thank <laughs> you so much, man. Yeah. I got to say, uh, me and uh, my buddy Dave Black went to see when you guys played, when Billy played, I think it was last summer with when you guys were doing the t- tour with uh, Brian Adams.
2: Right, right. And
1: that was such an incredible show, man. It was Detroit loves you guys. They always have, but, um, yeah, it was such a great show, man. Just killer. So, Steve, you
0: you mentioned the the plexi behind you. Is that like a, a super lead or?
2: It, it started. I mean, there's four four the four inputs on it. This is before Dave even had the um, the um, uh, you know was doing uh, you know um, runs of amps. You know, I don't you know I don't know exactly where he got the parts for this. So. It was copied after a super lead, and and uh, and although there's only one input on that, but it was I think he was just using existing parts that were available at that time. Before this is way before Friedman amps was, was actually uh, a thing. A sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I wanted a, I wanted it to sound a bit like a super lead with more gain, a usable master volume. That was that was it. You know, cool. there's no depth or present. You know, not. This is really a no-frills amp.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, when I did get that module, which he said was a, a prototype for you, uh, mm. I did AB it to uh, just the stock Randall ones at a music store one day, and everybody's jaws were just dropped because they, they talk about it sounding like taking the blanket off the speaker, and that's exactly what it was. That, that, he just brought that clarity and that, that high end, all the harmonics. It was just a, a, amazing.
2: Yeah, I, I can't take any credit for any of that stuff. <laughs>
0: but having said that, I, I heard you post a little thing a, a day or two ago of some presets that you'd come up with on the Axe effects. And whoa, man, Like I was just listening on my little iMac speakers and it just jumped out. And there's no denying a lot of that tone is your hands. You could give that exact same rig to somebody else. It's not going to sound the same. But uh, did you find it very hard to try and get that, to dial those tones in with the new Axe Effects?
2: No, I, you know, I had one of the, I have still have one of the, I had the xfx the 11st one, first one. Um, yeah. I've been on board with Fractal for many, many years. Um, and I, and I, and then I got the AxeFX two and I found it very difficult for me personally to do editing in the little window. And also there were so many, um, uh, kind of, um, variables and 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 things you know uh parameters that i just didn't understand there was just and i i kind of like got lost in the thing and um and then they sent me uh i don't know for some reason i i kind of reignited my my relationship with them and they sent me the fm3 the the little unit the floor unit and i fell in love with it because a it's really easy to work with it sounds absolutely great and um and it's uh, it's fun. You know, their new software, uh, the way that it interacts between the lap, my laptop and the, and the unit um, is really a lot of fun. And uh, and I said, this is great, man. What? And, and they said, well, what do you what do you have in your studio? I said, I still have my, you know, Axe fx 2 and they sent me this is a loaner at the moment. And I said, I'll do some presets for you, uh, you know, just, you know, just to see how well I can get on with it and um and it was really easy actually it was really you know i just put the record on and go oh yeah that sounds right a little bit more of this a little bit more that um was very easy to use though
0: cool you know i I really got to agree i had an axe 2 and i thought there is no way i I could use this in a live situation in a cover band type type thing if i needed to oh you need this sound now without the editor um, so i have heard that having the bigger knobs and everything uh, and a bigger interface in general solves a lot that, that issue
2: yeah it's just it 's just in general just even the even the uh, uh, the, the uh, stock presets that come sound great and and what what really surprised me was uh, with the presets that that i 've done for for fractal. Was I wanted to give them Atomic Playboys and Rebel Yell, so I went. Okay, what amp and cabinet did I use for that? Okay, da da da. So I just chose those same pieces of gear in the Axe Effects, and lo and behold, they sounded like what the, the original combinations did. So that they're very so tr- cool. true to, you know, it's very true to um, to what the description is.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I you said about having too many options in there that was a big thing for me was i didn't know if i was going forwards or backwards sometimes it's it's cool to just have an amp with plug in (laughs) have a volume and you go whoa there's a sound um my experience with the older modelers um not just the axe effects i've I've had them all was they Mm -hmm. sound great um if you're just sitting there playing it yourself without playing with anybody else but as soon as you try and play in a band situation or you record it in a mix, that's where I was noticing the difference. It just didn't have its own little space in the mix that would pop its head out without covering up something else. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that's been your same experience using them in the past. Yeah.
2: I mean, in the past. Yeah. 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 But have they nailed it with the
0: X3? That's a lot better in that regard, I think.
2: Yeah. I've done some recording. Um, There's actually – I'm getting ready to launch a new – uh website and I did a track that'll premiere on there and uh and I found this very useful for that. But, um, uh, it blended well with all the other instruments.
1: Cool, cool. it's
2: Awesome. How about
0: you Sammy? You, you you done much with in the way of bottlers over the years, man?
2: Not
1: much, man. I mean, I've used um like for certain sessions and stuff sometimes or there'll, there'll only be a camper there so that's what you end up using, but um not 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 a ton, but I I heard the clip you posted yesterday, Steve. That sounded amazing. That was all the Axe Effects.
2: It's all, all Axe Effects, no cabinets, just straight into Pro Tools. And I I think the that's um, awesome. You know you know who really convinced me was Pete Thorne, um, because he's you know he gets all this stuff way before anybody else does because he does demos for these companies. And
1: right. and, um,
2: and, uh, and Pete, will, you know he'll he's very honest with me, and he'll text me every now and again and say. Hey, you should check this out, or check this pedal out, or whatever. And he said, he said, um, you know, if you checked out the the new Axe Effect stuff, it's really good and really easy. Um, and I kind of went, oh, okay, I'll give them a call and you know try it out. You know. Hey,
0: Sammy, you you, you said uh, you did a bit of a clinic tour with Steve and Dave. What's something that people don't know about Steve that you learnt while you're away with him, mate? That that can be shared with people. No. no i'm putting you on the spot here um, mate
1: I, the one the one thing i was blown away with man is when we did that show in san diego last year um mm-hmm. me and me and your cousin dave were sitting in the back and you told that story about michael jackson on the video <laughs> shoot <laughs> and that's where me and me and dave in the back were just our, jo- our jaws were on the floor so i don't know if, i don't know if you want to talk about that but it was it was <laughs> when when mike mike showed up to the video shoot that's that story is incredible
2: yeah
1: you know, it,
0: it's quite ironic. I didn't realize until after I, I booked a few uh, people to come in for a chat that within a matter of days, I've booked three people that have played for Michael Jackson. Uh, mm. yeah, yourself, Louis Shelton, who played on all the, the classic Jackson 5 stuff, and I've got Jennifer wow. Jennifer Batten on Sunday, your time, Monday, my yeah. time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Ha- I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing about Sammy. Yeah, go. That surprised go. me. And because, oh, no. because he's, he's so so good at the tapping stuff, right? And most times, and I've seen people do that, they work it out or takes them, they have to compose something. And when we did our clinic tour, uh, we we wrote a piece of music together. And I said, I had some like chords at the beginning and I said, you know, it'd be great if you work out some tapping finger or something for the intro. And he did it on the spot. It's just so second nature to him that he knows everywhere to go on the on the fretboard. Um that it astounded me. Cool.
1: (laughs) I don't know about that. Thank you, man.
2: It it was pretty humbling because it sounded so right and had he had obviously, you know, you, you looked at the chords and said, Okay, this however you did it, it was immediate and it was instinctive. And I think that's why you're so good at it, because it's not something you're having to like, think about mathematically it's second nature to you. And that's, that's the difference between what you do tapping wise. And I think a lot of the other guys where it just ends up being like math or something like yours is really musical. So, um, oh, yeah. that
1: really means cool. the world. man. Thank you so much. That really cool. putting that track together was so much fun. Um, and it just, it just really meant a lot. It was, it was really, really cool. And, um, yeah, Steve. If, for those listening, that uh, Steve and I, we did, we had that show in San Diego, and then a, I, a couple of days before, Friedman set us up, and I went over to Steve's house, and uh, we kind of put a little little tune together. Whatever, it was pretty cool because we didn't really get to rehearse it. You know, we just kind of like went up and you know we 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 put it together, but it was right. it was that was that was a pretty cool that was a really special thing for me.
2: So we actually, I think, it meant actually, a lot. Yeah, I think we actually spoke about recording it uh, properly until this Corona shit.
1: <laughs> I know, man, we'll get but, to it. We'll get to it. But eventually. That's something,
2: yeah. That's something we'll definitely do in the, in the future. It, oh, it, it, yeah. It's, it was so cool. Absolutely.
0: Just hearing you guys talking about the fretboard, I actually recorded a, a bit of a video with you, Sammy. Remember that the one with you and Mika, uh, in Germany, that
1: was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: was, yeah. It was funny because we had bartender Dave Friedman behind us, handing over the beers and the (laughs) whiskeys. And the funny thing is Mika and I, we don't drink, man. (laughs) So I watched, I had to go through all that footage. I had hours of footage and a lot of it. I'm going, I'm drunk. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not good drunk. I talk way too much drunk. Uh, But if anybody's interested in Sammy's approach to the fretboard, have a look on my channel. Um, There is a little video that he did uh, with Mika. Um, Steve, your approach to the fretboard is there a particular way do you use like the cage system are you going into more um, three note per string or do you see it how, if you were to explain to somebody how do you how do you view the
2: fretboard um i think you know the, my i have a very basic knowledge of theory um and i think i think the um you know obviously um, i'm Usually, when I work with people, it's usually as a co writer or some, or, you know, in some capacity I'm involved in creating a song rather than, uh, you know, I very rarely just get called in to go play a solo or something. <clears throat> so I'm usually thinking about, about my guitar parts as, as an arrangement, uh, from an arrangement standpoint. So I'm usually thinking in terms of broadening the chord structure. Uh, and I'll usually look at what the root notes that the bass is doing or, or what I imagine the bass should be doing, and I'm writing something counter to that because I get bored very easily when I hear bands that, are, that every instrument is going along like this, and the drums are playing the one beat, and everybody's doing this. And, you know, I think that's the whole... <laughs> that, that's the great thing about Led Zeppelin is, you know, the sum of the parts... Even though it's bass drums and guitar is so much bigger than, than what they are because there's this arrangement thing where they're all like little. There, I, I look at it a lot, like um, you know, looking at an old watch. You have some of these gears that are small and they're spinning really fast, and there's another gear that's larger and he's spinning at a different rate. And so I, I look a lot, I look at the guitar a lot as being one of those gears, and take take into account the the melody and um so i don't i definitely definitely don't necessarily look at the fretboard as um you know uh, a. am pa- not pattern based uh-huh. i try not to be pattern based yeah. uh, and just play pentatonics within that you know okay we're on a b and you know, i'm on the seventh fret or something i always try and look at something alternative to that um I think that's what makes bands great. And if you look at even U2, what the edge plays on guitar, you know, sometimes the, the vocal melody might go to, let's say, A major or something. But, uh, but, but the edge is keeping tension by staying in B against the rest of the band. And the Who were like that. Townsend was very good at doing that as well. So... I try not to fall into that thing of being pattern-based and, and look at it as, okay, well, I look at the chord structure and where can I, okay, well, maybe I'll play uh, uh, G-sharp minor against them staying in B major because it's more interesting or more harmonically rich.
0: Well, i, I got to say, you're not a cliché guitar player. Um, there's a lot of guys that there's there's certain clichés that everybody knows, As you learn those cliches, you recognize them a lot more when a flurry of notes goes past and you go, oh, I can hear what that is now. Um, I I did film a little bit of you playing at the River Stage in Brisbane a few months ago uh, and the technology is there now where you can put it into software and slow it down. And I actually slowed down this ripper lick that you played in Flesh Flesh for Fantasy because I just... I just had to know, what the hell is that? That was really cool. And I just noticed sort of a lot of going across the strings. Um, Am I going to embarrass myself and grab my guitar and actually play in front of Steve Stevens? (laughs) I am, I am. I'm just going to ask you where you get this kind of influence from. Just bear with me one second. And if you guys want to talk amongst yourselves, do that. I'll just switch the screen.
1: Man, I love that analogy you said about like a watch like a band is like a watch you know where sometimes you know somebody's spinning really fast in the middle and you know absolutely they, maybe yeah. maybe the overarching thing is the hour you know the hour right. that's that's right. a, re- yeah. that's, a re- that's a really really cool way to look at it i love that. yeah
2: i mean all, it all works together i mean it's like you know
1: yeah it's all together that's super super cool all
2: right i don't know if you guys are even gonna be able to hear this
0: but yeah you did a really cool <laughs> lick and i can't remember exactly what it was but what what I'm saying is just the you sort of that kind of thing? Uh, yeah. That's that's very you in it. Let me put a bit of delay on that to to
2: huh.
0: This that and sliding that around and all these really cool shapes. Um, yeah. where does that come from for you?
2: Um I don't I don't I don't know. I mean a lot of the a lot of those kind of linear uh, lines you know I, I I was a huge, huge, huge uh, Keith Emerson fan. okay and i and I kind of took a lot of, you know when he'd solo on um you know his moog solos and things like that. and um, and he you know some of those kind of legato patterns like that, and then move them about their neck. I think I, I think I'm just trying in my head at least, I'm trying to emulate some of the things that he did.
0: Cool. cool. And then there's the, the intro to um, Rebel Yell. Like, yeah. a, a lot of people don't realize that that's actually guitar and not, and not keyboards. Like, I've gone to play that in cover bands, and, and they go to count in at the start, and, they, and I've got bass players and <laughs> keyboards players going, and I just look at them and go, no, man, I've got this. I know how it goes. Uh, um, and it kind of loses the impact if everybody tries to do it. Um, yeah, not,
2: not only is it guitar, but it's not overdubbed. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that that's that, so that really that really comes from the folk thing. The if you go back and listen to um, uh, the the classic the Leo Kottke record, um, it's just called six and twelve string guitar. Um, there's a lot of stuff that he's doing on there with those kind of patterns. Um, he was doing it on on, on acoustic, obviously, but um, that's where I got a lot of that that. Kind of stuff from cool. Leo Kottke. That's
1: awesome! Wow, yeah. I didn't know you were a fan of his, man. That's awesome! Oh my god, he's yeah. incredible! Yeah, he's incredible.
2: There's that, there's that one piece that he that's on that record. If anyone wants to go Google, yeah, I'm write it down. The, the original, uh, his there's a, some footage of him. Uh, now he slowed it down, but there's a, co- a tune called Vaseline Machine Gun. And if you find him from like sev- early '70s playing that, your jaw will drop. It's just incredible.
0: You know that... I'm going to write that down. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to check out some of that stuff, too. I'm taking little notes as well, I go. Well, just listen
2: to the recording on the album. It's, like, unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Just, just smoking. Wow.
2: Yeah. Oh, incredible, yeah. I was I was fortunate when, um, uh, I, I, when I would tag along with my brother. Uh, we went to see um, John Fahey, and uh, we got to see Leo Kotke as well. So, you know, those... those those And, and i got to say, another guy who's incredible acoustic player who's not easy to play his parts, is James Taylor. That was another guy I,
1: I agree. Yep. Hmm. That's incredible, man.
2: His stuff is not easy. And then to sing on top of it, that dude's really talented. Absolutely. That's, it's
1: uh, unbelievable, yeah. yeah right? It's, it's un- yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I love Yeah, probably, some of those guitar parts are really interesting.
2: And probably, I'd say, has the most beautifully recorded guitar, acoustic guitar sound of anybody. James Taylor's guitars just sound incredible.
1: I know, man. Yeah, I wonder what I wonder what they were doing. I don't know if you know like how they recorded it's, some of that stuff.
2: There's some clips on YouTube where he explains because it's all his fingers, you know, and uh, and he wraps his his right hand with these kind of cloth. It's and he plays his 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 um, strings are very close to the neck. He's got a very light touch, and it's kind of like almost like a the way he plays it, it's almost like a dulcimer or something. It's it's um. He gets this tone that's naturally just James Taylor. So cool.
0: It, it's funny. You, you mentioned uh, quite a few guys from, from the 70s. Um, and I know just friends of mine who were uh, 10, 15 years older than me who were learning to play. I learned to play in the late 80s, but these guys learned to play in the 70s. They're just coming from a different place to me. Like, to me, I'm deeply got the Van Halen thing ingrained in me. Yeah uh and the Steve Stevens thing as well a lot of people sort of go oh mean you you got that tight right hand rhythm thing are you, are you into james hatfield and i say no it comes from steve stevens <laughs>
2: james, um you
0: know? yeah so that's a that's a big thing man but um yeah i, I kind of need to go back and listen to some of those players that my older friends tell me about that didn't rub off on me what was the moment for you is this was it Van Halen that came along that you went whoa okay this is, this changes things or was there guys before that that really got you into picking the chops up
2: um, well there was you know I knew I needed to get better when um, there's a there's a uh, you know I was a fan of King Crimson I like that and then when when the second version of King Crimson came out with John Wetton and Bill Bruford on drums there's a piece called Fracture I forgot which record it's on it might be on starless and it's it's an alternate picking thing and um to this day i can't play it and i just i just went you know I, I think i think early on i realized that i didn't want to just be reliant on hammer-ons that uh guys like steve howe and john mclaughlin and then i think when al jimmiola came across came out it was like oh shit <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, gotta amazing, pick, I, I gotta learn to pick every note <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah yeah well I mean, Sammy's got the whole picking thing going on there. Uh, how about you, Sammy? What, what was what was a moment where you just thought, "Wow, I really need to step up my game." I, I think you said Randy Rhodes was a big one for you, right?
1: One up, yeah. When I was a kid, that was like. At first, I was like so into Van Halen. That's like the only guitar player I knew. You know, like that was it. You know, just trying to. That's all I'd listened to for about, you know, I don't know, six months or something when I started playing guitar. But yeah, when I discovered him, it was like, oh, wow, there's, you know, there's other guitar players out there, you know? So I'd, once, like, I was pretty young when I was, you know, first diving in all that. But um, I'm trying to think, like, a- after that stuff, it was like, I'd, I started getting into more, like, the instrumental guitar players, whereas, like, the whole song is guitar, like, the guitar is, like, the voice, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for that, for me, is, like, that's like, all right, maybe there's somewhere farther to go as opposed to, you know, only holding it down and, you know, maybe playing a solo, you know. Um, but um th- there's been a lot of moments like that in my life, man, where it's like, wow, I cannot believe... Like, people push it farther and farther, you know.
0: Well, uh, I, I saw you, a guy just the other day. I was around at Louis Shelton's place opening with something, and he played me on YouTube. i uh, trying to think of this cat's name. But he was shredding playing with his fingers flamenco style, like they were, had four picks on there. And he... Whoa, I'm going to have to look that guy up. and, um, Provided he speaks English, um, I think he could have been South American. But, whoa, I've got to look that, that cat up. Is there any hmm. new breed of players around that you guys just think, wow, I mean, Sammy's one of those guys. He's the, yeah. the new breed. Anybody I'd, else that's just... caught your eye?
2: Um... Yeah, that Sammy Bowler guy, he's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't Um, know all that. Yeah. uh, uh, I'll tell you what really impressed me was um, there's a number of uh, uh, videos online of uh, Misha Mm Mansour showing how he puts together his tracks. And more than just the guitar playing, um, his knowledge of programming drums. Yeah. And recording and seeing the big picture Uh, obviously you know he's doing some pretty revolutionary guitar stuff but as an overall musician I was really impressed with him Um, really 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 knocked me out that uh, and he's also involved in some good technology and um, you know he's involved with that company get good drums which have a really good he's, he's got some good software things happening uh, they now have, have an IR loader. That's really, really good. Pete Thorne turned me onto it. So he's, he's impressed me quite a bit. Um, uh, let's see who else, uh, of the, of the new guys. Um, there's a group called ginger, which is, um, they're actually, Fantastic. yeah, they're from, um, no, some, not Russia, but somewhere around there. But, um, the guitar player and the bass player are doing some incredible things. Uh, polyrhythmic, uh, a lot of tapping things. So uh, they impressed the hell out of me as well. Got to give me a second because I got to get my, uh, my uh, wall wart from my computer. Otherwise, going to You're it's right, man. Shut You're down.
0: right. Yeah. Okay,
2: give me one second. You're cool, man. Uh, yeah.
0: I need the one of me and Sammy. There we go. Um, Sammy, I, I mentioned a player to you when we were hanging out in Germany and you weren't aware of him. He's really well-known in Australia called Brett Garsett. And that was a, a turning point for me. He played for an artist called John Farnham, who is quite possibly one of the best singers in the world. Um, wow. Man, yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. He was just an institution over here. You know of Tommy Emmanuel, right? Everyone knows Tommy Emanuel.
1: He's. I've seen him several times. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, yeah he's incredible. So he, I'm, sure, I'm sure Steve Dixon, too. Yeah. So awesome. He, he's big over here.
0: He, he was really big in Australia for a long time, like in the late 80s, early 90s. But he almost became a bit of a variety show, guest judge kind of thing. And I don't think Australia really appreciated how special he was until he he moved overseas. But this Brett Garshead guy that that I mentioned, Brett, um, when I was learning to play, this this was my moment where I was learning to play uh, The Shadows because it was simple, single-note stuff. And, you know, that's good for a 12-year-old, but then you need to progress from that. And... A John Farnham concert came on TV and Brett Garshead took this solo, this extended solo with the tapping and the legato and he's very Alan Holdsworth inspired and um, that absolutely blew my mind and I think that was the moment for me where I thought, oh, you need to learn some, some of that stuff. I actually, um, Brett got back to me yesterday. He's going to come on, onto the show. I haven't locked in a time with him. i have got to exchange a couple of emails but be really excited to have him on and just find out whether all that came for, for him
1: congrats man that's awesome yeah 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 he's I, I need to check him out still um but yeah i love if he's on the show i'll definitely be watching that. that's so cool so there's there's um,
0: th- there's two different two distinct styles of playing that he does when he plays for john farnham he usually plays slide guitar solos and they are the most melodically beautiful thing um steve we're talking about brett garsted here i'm not sure if you know who brett is yep mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. um so, yeah, with Farnham, he's playing beautiful, almost like sung melodies that just fit the song, you know? But his, when he plays just himself, it's very Holdsworth-inspired, I guess, just all the legato. And I think he's into four-note-per-string scales for his runs. It's uh, very wow. Sean Lane. That
1: is kind of like, like Holdsworth, yeah. That's yeah,
0: cool. yeah. And, and with quite the reach, you know? I mean, speaking of picking... A lot of it comes down to your pick, doesn't it? And that's where I said, you know, Sammy sent me a little bag of picks because I was having trouble finding a good, stiff pick that would hold its shape. Um, what are you using these days, Steve? Have you got? A, have you um, always used the same thing, or or have you? Come yeah, and and I mean, I, I
2: use a different pick for acoustic guitar than I do uh, for electric. Let's see, What is my picks about? Yeah. Hold on, boy,
0: You're right. You're right. I'll cut away from that one. I thought we were going to. He was leaning down to show us the pics, but he's. They're behind the computer. I get it. I get it. Sorry. I thought you were leaning down to show us where the pics were. It's like.
2: Yeah, oh. no, so I use these. Um, this is the. Uh, I'm with uh, Dunlop pics, and this is their wedge, what they call their wedge shape. Cool. And it's, um, it's a little bit bigger. And pointier than their standard pick, and um, it's a 1.0, 1.0 millimeter. Yep. Um, and I just, um, this is really good for alternate picking, and um, and I find that these don't, uh, I can literally go through, um, you know, maybe two or three picks for a whole show, mm-hmm. whereas I used to, you know, just like slice through picks and stuff. So I've been using these, I don't know, 10 years or so now. And, cool. Uh, but for acoustic guitar, I use a lighter pick. and because more strumming, you kind of want to get the sound of the the strum as opposed to the the impact.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Sammy, the the ones that you sent me, mate, they they're Dunlops as well, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I use Dunlop picks too, man. Um, mine are. I think it's just extra heavy celluloid. I'm not sure about the shape, but I think it's just their standard, just a standard shape yeah. or whatever. But yep. yeah, yeah. I'm with Steve though. I think um, when you're playing acoustic, especially for recording, man, it's good to have a little bit of a lighter pick. Um, just, it gives, it's nice to have it give a little bit, you know, but, um, I don't know. I'm one of those guys where it's like, if you, I like consistency, you know, so it's like, I've, I've been using those extra heavy ones for so long, you know, um, I don't know when I, when I find something I like, I try to stick with it, you know, especially something like that. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Um, I
0: used to use bright green, uh, Jim Dunlop riffs, uh, for good 20 years or so. And they had a slight bit of flex in them. I was using the 88s, I think they were. Uh, huh? And it wasn't until I went to Nam a couple of years ago, and I was walking along and I bumped into Andy James. I don't know if you guys have seen Andy James on Instagram. He's insanely he good at. Yeah. yeah he's great. And I, I just stopped and went, Andy James, how are you doing, man? And I just said to him, your picking is just insane. And, and he sort of leaned over in his English accent and said, I've got a secret and pulled out this pick out of his pocket. Uh, I've got it still here somewhere. And that put me onto the heavy pick um mm-hmm. and i went home and I, I tried playing with that and thought wow this is where it's at now if i use one that does have any flex in it whatsoever it feels like i'm trying to write with a rubber pen right do you right. guys do you find the same thing it's just yep. yeah 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 mm.
1: yeah i don't i don't like to. i don't like to be especially if you're playing lead man i don't like it to be bending around mm. at all i think it's it's better if it's a little stiff you know Yep. yep. yeah yeah absolutely
0: there's a lot of people go for the little jazz stubbies and the like, but... Can't do it. No, nah, I'm the same. I'm the can't same. Do I, don't like,
1: I don't like them
2: either, man. Yeah, I
0: can't I don't like do it. Yeah. Man, I, I played with a coin for years because I was a, a Brian May impersonator for about five years oh, in a, yeah, an international touring uh, nice. queen tribute show. And yeah. I had to get used to, th- to doing that. Yeah. And um, you, you can adjust. At first, it was awkward. But um, that Brian May sound, a lot of that is the fact that he's got Metal on metal with a serrated edge. And it just has that mm-hmm. chirp at the front end of each note. It's, it's really cool. Um, any new... Uh, your, your Nags guitars there, Steve? They, they look absolutely beautiful, man. How long have you been playing those?
2: Oh, oh. Uh, whew, I think it's eight years now, I believe. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I back in the day, I had the Hamer uh, guitar yep. line. Yeah. And, um, and one of my, one of the, uh, distributors, uh, in, in Europe for Hamer was a guy named Peter Wolf, And we maintained a friendship all those years. And even after I left the company and, um, and I hadn't really been looking, you know, I had kind of, once I reconvened with Billy Idol, I kind of was playing less balls and kind of staying away from the whammy bar guitars, uh, staying away from the chorus pedals and the whammy yeah, bar yeah, guitars, yeah. You
1: know, and,
2: <laughs> I'd reached my quota in the 80s. I wasn't allowed to use those anymore. So. <laughs> and, um, so I was playing Les Pauls, and then I had one PRS guitar that I really loved, a McCarty. Um, and I, I had uh, toured a lot with Billy Idol with that guitar. And, um, and I, I, I had um, a couple of guitar companies that approached me about doing a signature guitar, but they were very uh, adamant that we have a budget guitar uh uh, asian made guitar and um, i had a bad experience with that with washburn where i had approved an american-made guitar a high-end guitar that i was playing and didn't know that there was a lower Mm. uh uh, korean-made guitar going out and i started to get um this is before the internet started to get mail to management saying, uh, you know, this guitar is, you know, I bought this guitar because you play it and it fell apart and da-da-da. people weren't happy with it. And I said, what? What guitar is this? Yeah. And, uh, I found out that there was a lower price point guitar that I wouldn't have played. Yeah. Um, so when these companies started talking about that, I said, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my name on something that I wouldn't get up and play. Yeah. And, you know, so Peter called me and said, hey, remember, you know, you know, that your PRS guitar uh, it's made by this guy Joe Nags. He ran the custom shop at, at uh, PRS, and he has a new guitar company. Let's, we'd like to send you a couple of guitars, and they sent me a couple. <clears throat> they were, you know, beautiful instruments, but weren't right for me. They, they were, I like a thicker body, like a, you know, a single cutaway Gibson-style guitar. I said, you yeah, know, like this, and I like a more, I like the the Gibson angled headstock because I like that tension against the 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 smaller string scale mm-hmm. length that's how you make up for the you know the yada 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 yada. Yep. he said we'll make you anything you want what you know, and I went really anything and they said yeah you know so I realized I had like a, a a complete guitar factory at my beck and call if you know and um and we went through a couple of revisions and um, and I just, I love the fact that it's a an all-American-made guitar. It is, you know, it's it's not a, an inexpensive guitar, but I believe it's a guitar that'll get passed down from generations the way those classic instruments would, you know. Um, and they're just, they're just I, I feel good about supporting an American company. There's only about 15 guys that work there. Um, they're really, really great guys. And every step of the way that they've, any time I've asked for something different, it's never, oh, well, well, I don't know if we could, you know, they're like, okay, no problem. And you know, there's a guy named Lucas who's this mad scientist at the at, at NAGS, and he built me a guitar with a built-in ray gun in it and he designed this, it's just immaculate the way that every guitar that I get from them is just like immaculate, and they play so well, and um, and I'm, I'm proud to be behind a, a company that's, you know, just now kind of becoming well-known and um, I feel I you know I feel like they're family
0: at this point awesome awesome now you you, awesome. you mentioned a uh, Hamer and um, I actually have a Hamer that I've had since ninety one you might be able to see it behind me this is really hard because it's all backwards it's that one right there uh, mm-hmm. you, that's not lining up for what you guys are seeing you're seeing me up there but that's a Hamer now I don't even know if I'm saying it right is it is it called a chaparral or a chaparral yeah, chap- Cha- chaparral. yeah, yeah. A chap- so that had yeah, that yeah. was um chaparral elite with sustainiac uh and i actually wow. pulled the sustainiac out because it's the old model that went through so much batteries it had a compartment in the back okay. for two nine volts yeah. i'd get about an hour out of that before it would go flat and then my whole guitar would go dead but i i believe the new model is a lot more efficient on batteries and i'm looking forward to putting one back in have you played around with sustainers and things in your guitars before
2: um i don't know sammy have you ever used that I,
1: I haven't done much with sustainers, man. I've always wanted to get like a Fernandez sustainer and put it in something, but uh, I've just never I've never uh, pulled the trigger on it, man. Um, I don't know. You were saying it was what What's the model of sustainer that was in that? Was it that, Was it a Fernandez? No, sustainer no, or? no, no, no. The, the original no, was, it was a, a, like uh, a hammer.
0: No, there was a company called Sustainiac.
2: Okay, they made oh, the wow. original one. Okay. Yeah,
0: and um, I I still think the best. It's fantastic, even just to get controlled feedback at a low volume. Right. It was a big part of my style back yeah. in the 90s and I I kind of really miss it. So when I get a bit Ooh. more financial, uh, I hope to get one installed back in there, but just to have flick a switch and cho- you can actually choose between the fundamental the note, harmonic.
2: Yeah. the There's harmonic, or the yeah.
0: blend of the two. And that's just a beautiful sound, man. Yeah.
2: You, know, you know who I... put that chaparral on the map was Vernon Reed. Yep. Played a yep. Mine's exactly yeah. the same oh, as his. No yeah, exactly yeah, the same yeah. as yeah.
0: his. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mine used to be black, but I got bored one Christmas and stripped it back to the bare mahogany and <laughs> yeah. yeah, loved it ever since.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Steve, the ray gun thing. Where did that come from, man? Like with Rebel Yell, I know you've got that effect in there, but that wasn't a ray gun at the time, was it? Was that PCM-42s or something you used to get that? A
2: PCM-41. 41, 41. okay. Yeah. And the the story behind that was, um, uh, you know, when when we recorded Rebel Yell, we knew that, okay, this is going to be the lead-off track on the record. It was no mystery to us that we we had a winner. You know, we, we all, actually, that song was recorded three times really um uh, wow. and and because um, we, we we were we were locked away in electric lady studios Hendrix Studio, to do that record and we had finally found an incredible drummer tommy price and all all of the backing tracks were sounding great and we, you know billy and i <clears throat> on the first record the last song to be recorded was white wedding so that was kind of the 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 level that we had to achieve you know that was going to be the 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 starting point so we we wrote rebel yell together and we started recording it and we got the backing track and he got a guide vocal and we went ah this is great this you know it's really gonna be be good i came time to do the guitar solo and i said you know this has to be more than just a guitar solo can't be just a bunch of notes and i said you know, the way I designed the solo is I wanted it to start with Chuck Berry, you know, very rock and roll, and then go to Outer Space. So I brought in uh, the Billy Cobham record with Tommy Boland on guitar, and there's Quadrant Four uh-huh. is one of the tracks. And on Oh, that, wow,
1: I would love that.
2: Right? And, and so yeah. in that, you know, he uses the Plex and it takes over and does that kind of like oscillation thing. And I, I played it for our producer and engineer and said, we need something as cool as that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want to rip that off, but we need the guitar to have some effect uh, where it just goes, you know, beyond just notes. You know, we kind of like cut the solo. We're thinking about it, thinking about it. And at the time, I used to kind of like collect toy robots. And there was a store in New York that sold these kind of old tin toys and stuff like that. And I had a toy robot, a toy ray gun. And um, I said, oh, you know, it'd be great if I could kind of replicate that. Um, So, you know, it was just like a little bit of, you know, hunting around with my lexicon and figured that the modulation, if I took the note away and just had the modulation and had it on a foot switch, I could hit a harmonic and it would just go into this kind of like fluttering modulation thing. Um, So that's kind of how we, we cut the solo. But then I had to what I realized was I had to dedicate uh, the lexicon didn't have presets and I was using it for all these other delay things. And I'd have little pencil marks on there. There was a song called Shooting Stars on the first record that had a triplet delay. So I had to get that, I had, you know, no presets. And I said, I didn't want to dedicate the unit to this one little thing that in the course of this show was only going to happen for two seconds. Absolutely. And um. And I started to like, I was sitting at home and I'm playing with this toy ray gun watching like, I don't know, I Love Lucy or something and had a little practice <laughs> amp and, and I started to hear the ray gun come through the pickups of the guitar. And then I went, oh, wow, if I vary it, you know, so I opened it up because it it, it would only go at one speed and I saw that there was little resistors in there. So I wonder, well, potentiometer is just a variable resistor. What wonder if I replace... So I got a little attic of clips out, and I'm poking around on the circuit, and lo and behold, that I found the spot where I could put this potentiometer in it, and um, and that's basically the story of the ray gun. Cool, very cool. That's so cool. So you, you mentioned
0: playing around with all the, the resistors and everything. Okay. So you're you're pretty up on your electronics. Um, I'm definitely not.
2: I, I just hunt and peck. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Cool. But
2: there was, a, there was a book that came out when I was about 13 or 14, Electronic Projects for Musicians. Uh-huh. I still have this book with my handwritten notes in it, and it was done by Craig Anderton, who uh, still does, uh, you know, he's still active in the music business. Yep. And I learned, I built a couple of projects from that book. I learned everything I know about pedals and uh, I was actually at one point offered a job at electroharmonics as a product tester and cool. just, just at oh, the same time. Cool. Yeah. Just at the same time as I got my gig with Billy Idol. So I was like, Oh, well, uh, uh yeah, I think I'll go do the Billy Idol thing, but um, <laughs> everything I learned was from that book.
0: That's awesome. You know, um, I really, um, appreciate There was one high school teacher for me that knew that I was reading the back of the guitar magazines in class, and reading mm. articles by by Craig Anderson and stuff. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Leon, I actually bumped into him uh, not that long ago, walking down the street, and he, he recognized me straight away. And the first thing he said is, you still playing guitar with it? Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I remember him taking my magazines off me. He hey, you're not listening. And then he actually came back. He saw what page I was on. He goes, do you understand all this? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, you just keep reading that. That's just... Way ahead of what I'm teaching right here. Uh, in, uh, yeah, so I really, that's awesome. yeah, that's that's one of those good teachers that. You know, so this isn't by the, the rule book, but you're on the right path. Yeah. Um, Steve, I want to ask you about uh, Top Gun. You've probably been asked this a million times, but when that came your way, um, did Harold Faltermeyer have the complete um, the melody and everything for you? Yeah. You just yes. yeah, and then you just let let you have a bit of a go for it in the solo, etc.
2: Yeah, so so um, th- this is a great example when I tell musicians that you never know uh, sometimes the, the, the littlest things can end up being very important to you as a player, uh, not necessarily you know recording or making money or becoming uh, well known but also will you'll stumble upon something that'll open up a whole door to your approach on music or a, 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 you maybe were struggling on how to do something and then suddenly something out of the blue helps you overcome that obstacle um but harold was on the third billy idol record whiplash smile harold was brought in as a keyboard player cool um because he was friends with keith forsey uh they had both of them were in germany with uh Moroder, and so Harold's working on the tracks and he says, pulls me aside and says, Hey, you know, I'm work, I'm doing the mo- the score for this movie Top Gun uh, starring uh, this new actor, Tom Cruise. Uh, I'll show you some, you know, and I, I think risky business was the only thing he had done up, up until then. Yeah. So he had the Betamax <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, uh, and put the Betamax on and showed, showed me some of the footage. And at that time, the area of, you know, the aerial footage, the fight, fight, flight scenes, you know, they were like groundbreaking at the time. Now, yeah. now they're not. Um, but he said, I have this theme uh, and uh, would you like to play guitar on it? So at the end of the day, um, I remember it was on a weekend. It might have been a Saturday. We had finished at about 10 o'clock with the Billy Idol stuff. And Harold put up the multi-track for Top Gun and played it for me and had this basic, well, I think it was like a rock man guitar playing the melody. Um, and I kind of said, oh, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, we tackled it, And I said, yeah, but it's got to have more. You know, it was very straight, mm. da, 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 you know, no finesse or anything like that. And, uh, and I, I said, well, we got to we got to make this, you know, sound like Wagner or something, you know, but fortunately, my guitars and, and gears set up we were already from the Billy Idol thing, so we already had a great guitar sound ready to go, so we didn't have to mess around with that. It was just a matter of capturing that melody. And then uh, the solo was pretty much, I was let, you know, he said, do whatever you want in the solo, and we kind of constructed something for it. And, uh, and um, you know, I think the whole the whole session probably took a couple of hours, and then I kind of forgot about it. And then the movie came out and then we won a Grammy for it. And I always tell people that you just never know, you know, something that took me two hours to do and was an afterthought at the end of a session became this very important thing in my career. So I always tell people to, you know, do always say yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Say yes.
1: Yeah. I love that story. That's amazing.
2: It's just, you know, and I was, uh, Har- Harold is just such a positive thinking guy that um, he, he, you know, every time i play the melody or, or something, he would get on the talk talkback, because this is before our guitar players would be in the control room. We'd be on headphones and, you know, and, uh, ah, this is great, you know, he just kept me pumped about it. And I was like, I don't know, you know, ah, this is great, you know. And then when he called me from Germany to say we had been nominated for a Grammy, he said, "We're gonna win this fucking thing," <laughs> and I went. I went. No, we're not gonna win a Grammy. <laughs> said, I'm telling you, we're gonna win. <laughs> awesome. He's just a positive. He's just a positive guy, you know. It's yeah. just, and and from what I understand, what I understand is that uh, my original guitar track uh, is being used in the uh, the the sequel to the movie, which is cool. Uh, being filmed. Yeah. This, yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, you said Harold played keyboards on Whiplash Smile and forgive me for not knowing what songs are on what albums uh from your, your discography but stuff like forgot to be your lover with all those that that quantized 16th note or 8th note bass was that all him
2: um probably i mean if it if it involved a drum machine it's keith forsy okay because um, keith also was very hip you know they, these guys were the you know they would be you know uh it used to be that you'd these these records were done analog, so you'd have a Simpty code to lock up your tape machines. You have two 24-track tape machines because you'd get a good drum take and put that tape away because you didn't want to degrade it. So they were already used to locking up machines, so they would lock up early sequencers to that same SIMT code. And then I remember, I specifically remember we, with Harold... Doing a, he was doing a sequence-based thing, and it sounded fine to me. And he kept saying, ah, it's behind, it's behind. And they'd literally rock the 24-track tape and mark where the kick drum was with a, piece of, with a pencil, and then track offset the sequence to make sure that it lined up perfectly with the kick drum. Wow. Um, you know, they were just ahead of the curve as far as getting things tight uh, cause a lot of people were trying to use sequencers and, you know, it wasn't until Pro Tools that it really became an easy thing to do. But, uh, these guys really had figured out how to get things tight and those Donna Summers records, you know, all that Giorgio Moroder, I feel love. If you listen back to that stuff, it's really spot on and tight and Absolutely. that's how they were doing it. Yeah. They were manually marking where the beats were on the, on the analog tape.
0: Yeah. Now, even just listening to the, the, the Top Gun theme, um, and that's a drum machine going mm-hmm. through a delay to get that mm-hmm. width. Uh, I, I picked yep. that up the other day. It was just like, oh. and yeah, you know, something so simple these days, you, uh, Pro Tools put it in, hit the button, yeah, it Yeah, you know, It wasn't that easy back then, was it? You guys had to come up with some really inventive stuff to, to make things work.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it couldn't be replicated again. I mean, that was. <laughs> That was the one thing that was really difficult because if you'd get a great track uh, and then you wanted to punch in, let's say a week later or something, uh, it was really hard to, I mean, that's the one thing about about plugins now and uh, digital recording. You can go back and and replicate the sound, but we couldn't do that back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: It's funny, like I said, I'm, I'm doing a live chat with uh, with Louis Shelton later on and he's um, done a lot of work with um, you know, the guys from Toto and the Ooh. Boz Skaggs, that kind of stuff. And he was telling me, there was one particular record that he was working on way back when, and the tape machine just went haywire and one reel spinning the other and just tapes flying in the air and they'd spent all night recording and... <laughs> Just an absolute no, disaster, man. or and even just punch-ins, you know, having to be. You sure you got that at the right spot? There's, there's not the non-destructive editing, or mm-hmm. recording like, like we have today. So yeah. you had to be really on top of your game, I guess, huh?
2: Well, <clears throat> well, that that was the thing with Billy Idol because he always wanted to keep my first guitar track, my first solo pass and i would always be like well i can make it better i can do this but you had to really think about it because you were punching in on that track Mm -hmm. so you better be damn sure you could make it better because you're gonna lose the one that you had just done and invariably he'd always make me wait come back to the song let's move on sure come back to it and then listen to it with fresh ears and then if you still don't like it okay then we can punch in but just you little I was always a little too close to it and not seeing it the way maybe that uh Billy would see it or Keith would see it and yeah. 9 times out of 10 they were they were correct
1: cool that's that's something I've learned from doing sessions too man it's like it's usually the first or second especially on solos it's usually the first or second you know don't overthink
2: right. and come back to it yeah right
0: right yep. hey guys it's i'm really gonna cool. have to shove off here you're right man you said you only had a, a you know, 45 <laughs> yes. to, to and we've stressed you right out so i really do thank you for your time steve
2: and yeah, and sammy I, I i'm just, gonna round yeah. things up okay
0: yeah great man uh, sammy thank you steve thank you thanks to everybody Absolutely. that d- tuned in um give everybody a round of applause you're not going to hear this <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> either of you guys. Anytime you want to come and have a chat with me, I'd love to have you on again. It's
2: great. yeah, it's, it's great to see Sammy looking healthy and uh, you know uh, reconnecting. you know we'll we'll Oh, it's great to see him, man. Yeah, he's one he's one of, one of my favorite guitar players. I'm not just saying that, but
1: uh, likewise, know,
2: man. It's really um you know he's he's as humble as can be because he's got this. He's got this shit to back it up. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. He's one of the nicest guys you ever bad, meet, too. Now nah, I love you. Savvy. He's got all the world, time in the world for him. Thanks, guys. And thank I you, everyone thank that you. T- tuned in. Cheers. See you soon. All right. All right.